I'm J. Carl Ganter with Circle of Blues Speaking of Water. When fire swept through the town of Paradise, California, it was a tragic loss of life and property. Now, as Circle of Blues Brought Walton reports, those faced with rebuilding homes and businesses are also faced with another grand challenge, how to restart the town's imperiled water system. In early November, flames erupted from the canyons and ridges north of Paradise, California. Fanned by powerful winds, the flames moved quickly and burned intensely. The town of 27,000 people was soon engulfed. The campfire, as the disaster came to be called, was the most destructive fire in the state's history. It didn't wipe Paradise off the map, but it was close. The town is just a smudge of its former self. 90 to 95% of the structures in town burned. They weren't just charred either. They were consumed, obliterated. When I visited Paradise in February, the scale of destruction was still all too evident. Homes, entire neighborhoods were reduced to ashes, only the foundations and brick chimneys still standing. A shopping center in the middle of the town, anchored by a Safeway grocery store, was rubble. One Paradise resident said he remembered the town's colors being green and blue. Green for the trees and blue for the sky. Those same colors graced the town's seal. Today the town's colors are the brown and gray of burnt homes, and the fluorescent orange and yellow of the safety vest worn by cleanup crews. A central tension for Paradise in the coming months is the health of the water system. As residents clean up, some will want to return home. How many? No one really knows. Maybe 20%, maybe 40%, but some will. The fire, however, unleashed benzene and other volatile chemicals into the water system. The chemicals are not in the water coming from the treatment plant. They're in the pipes beneath the town. The Paradise Irrigation District is the utility that serves Paradise. It's trying to isolate the contamination in the system. But turning water on to returning residents makes that process even harder. Meanwhile, other residents are installing their own water tanks and treatment units, and the district has no revenue to pay for upgrades. It's relying on emergency aid and reserves. Kevin Phillips is the manager of Paradise Irrigation District. I spoke with him about the challenges of recovering from the fire. All right, I am sitting with Kevin Phillips. He's the district manager of Paradise Irrigation District. Uh, Paradise Irrigation District serves the community of Paradise, which was burned in the campfire last November. So I've been going around town today talking with Kevin about some of the challenges that the water system is facing in bringing service back. Um, to Kevin, thanks for being here. No problem. Thanks for showing up. Uh, Let's give people a, a high-level view of what the challenge is in Paradise after the campfire. Well, before the campfire, Paradise Irrigation District served uh, about 10,500 connections, which served a population of about 27,500 people. Uh, when the campfire came through on November 8th, um, it burnt about 90% of the town, meaning that it burnt about uh, ninety percent of the service connections uh, in the town when the fire came through the system couldn't keep up with the amount of water that was being uh, released through broken service lines and the system actually depressurized uh, when the system depressurized we're, we're be we believe that either contaminants were sucked back in through the vacuum that was created or that uh, through the vacuum it sucked in the hot air from the fire and melted service lines and plastic meters. Um, that created two issues. One was that our system had depressurized, therefore we had to go and shut down the system 
and knuckle knuckle down the water so that there was still fire flows inside of the town because the fire was still raging either inside or outside of the town the fire department needed to get water so we had to shut down the system and the second was that we knew that there was damage internally into the system but we didn't know what to to what extent so uh, we had to go through a step process to get the system back up and running, which meant, um, based on our topography, we're a pressurized, a gravity-fed system, and so we have multiple pressure zones. So we had to basically put the puzzle back together within the pressure zones to make sure we didn't damage more infrastructure. And that took us about three months to get water back fully pressurized into the system. And then once we had the system pressurized, we were able to go back and test for contaminants in the system and there has only been one other district that uh, in California that had uh, kind of gone through the situation and found contaminants in their system but they did it was a much smaller scale um, so and that, and that other district was Santa Rosa Santa Rosa right Santa Rosa went through this and they had about 10% of their district burn and they had still 90% remaining where we had about 90% of our district burn and really even the 10% remaining was so haphazard that they we couldn't really isolate those areas away from the from the burnt areas or the contaminants. Um, so once we got the system back up and running, we then had to then start testing for these contaminants which were found in Santa Rosa. And the main one, the main indicator contaminant was benzene. And so what we had to do was create an environment uh, in the system, which meant we had to let water sit stagnant for at least 72 hours before we went back and tested for this VOC or this contaminant, and then uh, take that contaminant for testing, which normally takes, it actually normally takes two weeks, but we're able to get them back in five days to, to get an idea if there was contaminants in the water. And we did discover that there were con these contaminants in the water. It's not in every service line, but it's in enough haphazardly that we had to issue a do not boil, do not drink order for any customers that were still remaining in town. And that's a pretty restrictive um, requirement on our water for the individuals that are still wanting to use it. Um, we put that on really early on knowing that there was this potential and we have blanketed the whole district with that order and we're now going through the process of trying to figure out how to go back and test each one of these service lines and main lines to make sure that the contaminant is isolated and that it's safe for other individuals who might be in that area to drink the water. So there's really, to me, it seems like three parts to this. There's the contamination problem, trying to figure out where the contaminants are. There's the physical rehabilitation of the system. You've got to, uh, if there are contaminants in the laterals from the main to the house, then that would have to be repaired or replaced. Um, the mains themselves, if there's contaminants, they would have to be repaired. And then there's the financial component because you have a water system, but you do not have water customers, right? Correct, yeah. So we're a 95% rate-based water system. Um, we have two surface water reservoirs that are still in great shape. We have a treatment plant that uh, produce, still is producing clean and healthy, safe drinking water into the system. So we still have a lot of components of the system that are still good, but 95% based on that we're a surface water uh, 
district, 95% of our costs are fixed, meaning that we have a lot of infrastructure needs and costs, and we have, um, we need people to maintain and to continue running the district. And based on that we have lost 90% or 95% of our customers, we no longer have a revenue base to support the district. So how, how do you run a water system without revenue, basically? That's a great question. And we're still trying to figure that out. Um, we, we've set goals for ourselves to make it through certain time periods. Um, and the first goal was to make it through two weeks into the fire and to figure out kind of triage not only our, our system, but our, our employees. 30 of the 36 employees that we had lost their homes, and then all five board members lost their homes. So there was a lot of personal uh, angst and struggles that our employees were dealing with that we were trying to also be sensitive to, but also we were also dealing with a water system that has lost 90% of their customers too. So there was a lot of loss and grieving and, and trying to understand what, what truly we were facing um, in the first two weeks. And then we, we set a goal to make it f through to the first month. And now our first our goal is to make it through six, six months. And so we're, we're three months, three and a half months into this. And we're trying to make decisions for long-term, short-term decisions for long-term success. And some of that is looking on legislators, looking into federal programs, looking to try to get programs that were before rigid and did not bend to bend with us because every person we've talked to um, that, that we ask about, they say they don't, they don't know what to do because no one's ever gone through this before. And so we're looking to try to get through these short-term windows, but trying to make short-term decisions for long-term goals. And at the end of it, we know that there's gonna be a new business model and there's gonna be a new, a new look at what the district uh, entails, but we need, we need financial support to get us to that point that we can make those business decisions that then can continue the district into the future through the rebuild. Right, so the future is the big question here and it's very early days. The fire was three and a half months before today. Um, are there, when you look to the future, are there timelines? Are you, you know, giving people an idea of when they might be able to get water back? Yeah, at this point, we are still trying to understand the complexities of the contaminants. We are really close to coming to a understanding of how to isolate the contaminant and how to lift this do not drink, do not boil. Based on our system topography, we're going to clear zones based on pressure zones. And, and just uh, stop you there, so people understand the zones and the, the layout of the system. It's kind of like a cascade or a, a waterfall. It's gravity fed, so there's you start at the top and you're working your way methodically down so that if you find a contaminant at the top, then it doesn't get to the... If you find a contaminant, if you start from the bottom, then you risk Recontamination. Recontaminating the system. Correct. So yes, yeah, so we're starting. So we, we the topography is like uh, Brett said, the is a ridge, and it, it like a waterfall. We 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 start at we the town was built on a ridge, and so the ridge starts from a higher elevation and ends at the lower elevation, 
And so all the water flows from the top to the bottom based on that our treatment plant is at the top. And so we are clearing higher zones um, and isolating contaminants at the higher zones so that those higher zones don't recontaminate the lower zones once those lower zones are cleared. And so right now we do not have a timeline. We know it's gonna be a long process and we know that some zones are gonna get cleared quicker than other zones just based on the topography and of their location. And so we are getting a game plan together right now, but this is gonna take years to get cleared. And then even after we're cleared for years, there's gonna be ongoing testing based on that there was a contaminant in there to make sure that there is the health and safety is protected of the public and that the confidence of the water system is is still going forward uh, with, with our customers drinking it. So a lot of people have talked about you know, unprecedented or never, haven't seen a town uh, go through this before from a fire. And so what lessons are you taking or that other people are trying to learn from what Paradise is doing? Yeah, we're, we're, we feel like we're kind of blazing the trail. It's kind of a bad analogy, but um, for, for, these, for, for a, a district or a town that, that has this type of destruction. And, and we know that this is a new, uh, a new time but we also know that this is gonna happen somewhere else eventually. And so we are learning a lot of lessons and we're trying to figure out some mitigation portions of the system that maybe we could look back and say that if we had X, Y, and Z, that maybe we could have saved a certain portion or not had this uh, happen again. Um, those lessons are still being uh, kind of vetted and learned. Um, but we know that at the end of this, we will be a, a training site for others that eventually might go through this. And then we'll have uh, availability of, of documentation and lessons of how, how to maybe get through this. At this point, I think that we're still learning a lot. Um, I know that there's the complexities are so overwhelming that sometimes it's hard to even know where to go. Um, so we're, we're taking in um, outside help, outside resources, trying to get every expert we can find to come in and support the district so that we feel like we are getting the best information going forward and that we're not making mistakes as we move forward through this. And the, the future for Paradise right now is pretty much unwritten. I mean, there are big uncertainties about how many people will come back. Uh, and what repairs will need to be done, not only to the water system, but to the town in general, right? Correct, yeah. The town, the town was, was populated with uh, a retirement base uh, and also a kind of a commuting uh, base. It was a cheaper um, opportunity for housing uh, up here for people that worked in Chico. And then there was a large base of retirees. And so the, the town... The town rebuild is very uncertain. Um, it we know that it takes a long time. We've seen it in past fires how long it takes to rebuild just neighborhoods that are are ready to go. Um, where we have many um, challenges of topography and and of planning and of that the town has no sewer system. Um, there's just a lot of challenges that this town is going to be facing in the next 
three to five years. Um, and so the, the town, uh, what the town's going to look like right now is truly unknown to all. And, but we also know from our standpoint that without a water system, a town will never rebuild. So we understand that that is a critical factor of the rebuild and that we want to make sure that whatever opportunity for rebuild is there that we're supporting it and that it's that the water system is available for that. And do you have a sense of the mood of town residents, many of whom are scattered across the state or across the country even? Do they, in your you know, interactions, do they understand the length of time that is going to be involved with this? Are there patients, uh, angst, like what's What's the mood? I, I think that there's there's quite a few people that have decided not to rebuild. Um, that have they just don't have the time in their life or, or the the desire to come back to a place that um, that not only created a lot of fears in in their life but destroyed a lot of their memories. Um, and so there, there, we're going to get a lot of people that are not going to 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 return. And my my. My numbers that that we're hearing is that there there's probably going to be twenty percent that rebuild and eighty percent that that don't come back. There's maps out there that are scattered on the internet that show where people are ending up, and it's all over the United States, from New York to Florida to Oregon to Idaho. Um, and I think that at the beginning, I don't know if they understood the the. The length of time but I do think it's setting in now of how long this is going to take and how long that it does take to rebuild a town from scratch um, that the town's not even at scratch yet it's still littered with debris everywhere and trucks and dead trees and uh, equipment all through up and uh, up and down the town so this is going to be a long long process and for people to come back up it's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of time and a lot of understanding that this is not going to happen tomorrow or, or the next day or next year, that it's going to be a long, long process.